0: This Ben Jarofsky Show Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away.
1: Bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky Show. It is Wednesday, October 30th. Lord knows when you're hearing this. Lord knows when we figure we're going to drop this. It's definitely going to be on the weekend, right, D? Uh, and uh, as we always do on bonus time in the Ben Jarovsky Show, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself.
0: Uh, ben, it is my great pleasure to be here. My name is Jim Coogan. I'm a Chicago trial lawyer.
1: That's correct. That is. The, <laughs> Mueller says you got it right. Uh, Jim Coogan is a, a longtime guest on my show. And we've kind of uh, morphed this segment into something uh, that I like to call, How Is This Legal?, where I throw these uh, various challenges to Jim to explain how it is that powerful people uh, who have in our country, uh, mostly on the national level, because we spend our time talking about Trump so much, uh, get away with the things that they do. Uh, it, my assumption always is, Jim, that if they were just an ordinary human being uh, without the power and the trappings, they'd be thrown into jail or prosecuted, etc., for some of the stuff. So I have uh, my cheat sheet here. I'm going to go down. There's about five things on the cheat sheet, and then I'm going to throw a, a Facebook question. Actually, it's a how is it legal Facebook question as well. So we're going to cover a lot of uh ground here so let's get started jim coogan uh our legal expert on the ben jarofsky show if any legal questions we always ask jim coogan all right um so uh since the last time you came on the show jim was about a month ago uh donald trump's lawyers uh claiming executive privilege have made assertions such as uh, this one is unbelievable if donald trump as president commits a murder. He cannot be held uh, accountable, responsible, legally responsible for that murder. He cannot be prosecuted because, as President of the United he's exempt from that. How is that legal?
0: Well, uh, <laughs> g- gratifyingly, I think the judge decided that it's not and actually scoffed at the notion. In fact, the decision that came out of that particular hearing, where that was one of the arguments that was advanced by the president's lawyers, and I believe that was the lawsuit that he filed to... To prohibit the disclosure of his tax records, um, so the judge felt the same way that I think most people would, and that that is a preposterous argument. It doesn't matter what title or what office the person holds. Murder is a little too far. I mean, there are some process issues that you could say let's hold this off until the guy's left office, and most of the time, as we as we well know now, because it was one of the key takeaways from Robert Mueller's testimony in front of Congress, There, at the federal level, there are restrictions on ever prosecuting a president while they're in office. But just as an example, just as an aside, most murder cases wouldn't be federal cases. So it wouldn't have anything to do with the Justice Department. But their broader point was to say um, he basically, because of the restrictions of the office, because he's such a, it's a busy, powerful office, and it's so important that he doesn't have to comply with the law and it, and you can take that so far that anything the most the, the most horrible thing mor- murder even that you can't prosecute him for which on its face is just mystifying in terms of how a, a, a lawyer could let that come out of their mouth but you know you, you conform to your client's behavior sometimes uh, when you when you represent someone so they just went to the most extreme possible argument well this the short answer is it is not okay legal and that is not the way i would read the law and i hope the judge wouldn't either
1: all right now this is a case and you say it's federal court correct uh federal new york i think they
0: filed that case in federal right and so
1: they're seeking they want uh donald trump to turn over his tax uh returns from the last 15 years or five years i can't remember how many years they
0: want them from from mazar's the, the accounting company that, that did the work for him. All right. uh, according to Deutsche Bank, they, they've suddenly lost all the tax records that they have of <laughs> Donald Trump's. So they told the same judge that they don't have any responsive documents to that subpoena.
1: All right, so uh, Donald Trump, of course, is, has appealed that decision, and ultimately this issue will be decided, I gather, by the Supreme Court. Presumably, presumably, uh, unless they duck and dodge. Well, how much leeway, in your in your opinion, should be given to a president on this issue? Uh the president is a busy person. He has a lot on his plate. So uh, how much protection should a president give, be given uh, on matters of you know lawsuits and that kind of thing?
0: Well, there's, I mean, the Supreme Court's already weighed in on this. That was the Clinton versus Jones case. So the question was about that actually had to do with a civil case and whether President Bill Clinton, while he was in office, was required to submit to deposition testimony in a civil lawsuit. Um, you know, this particular case doesn't even really involve Donald Trump. He's not, he wasn't a party to the underlying subpoena. This was a lawfully valid subpoena issued to a firm that has the obligation to turn those records over in the state of New York. It's as simple as that. So Donald Trump has injected himself into this, specifically because he has no interest in anybody finding out what's actually in any of his financial records other than the ones he wants to show you.
1: Now, how is that legal? Let's just pause. I mean, you're absolutely correct. I hadn't thought about this. They've uh, The feds have subpoenaed this. Uh, uh, I think this it's the state of New York. is The state, state of New yes. York has uh, subpoenaed this accounting firm uh, for these documents. So what right does Donald Trump have to have any jurisdiction in this matter
0: well whether he has standing to do so is one of the issues that that i think was in the decision i mean he's filing it as an intervening party so they would go by whatever new york's or the the federal rules would be here for to be an intervener there's a that's a specific legal term and that would be one of the things they'd have to say to the court like hey we have we have an interest in this case too and here's why And here's what we're asking you to do, or here's our position on what's been uh, requested here. And, in, you know, that, that that's the basis for trying to, to inject themselves into it. So it can be legal, but a judge could decide that that standing is not there. They could say, no, uh, you know, I'm going to disregard your, your brief and your argument because you actually don't have standing to be here. Um, Which I think that's one of the other issues that they'll have to decide on that appeal. Uh, But, grant for the moment that that perhaps they do have the right to and they were allowed to argue in the in the uh hearing so obviously the judge was willing to give them that deference and you know going back to your other point if this was anybody other than the president i don't know that they i mean i don't even know if the person would find out about the subpoena unless the bank or the accountant called them and said hey we got this subpoena uh you ought to know george um (laughs) yeah you know like would they even find out but this was so public and so high high uh high profile that that it was it was well known to obviously to the president that it was happening and i'm sure his accounting firm was quick to tell his organization what was
1: happening oh yeah i'm sure i'm Almost pop without no. I mean, I don't know for certain, but I guarantee you that uh, the president would have been notified. Can you imagine if they just turned over the documents without running it by uh, Donald <laughs> that would Trump? be entertaining? Yeah, the outcry from Donald Trump uh, would have been uh, astounding. So we'll be following that one indeed. Yeah, we've been talking about this, Jim. It seems like forever uh, about Donald Trump and his tax returns and whether uh, Congress or the courts uh, will force him ultimately uh, uh, to reveal them. you have any prediction on this front?
0: Well, um, frankly, just based on the law, there is there there shouldn't this should be very clear cut. I don't know that that's what's going to happen because of all the political forces. But the only other point I want to make about it is this is an example of where we are in a very dangerous position as a country, because we're going to talk about William Barr later. But the the systems, the norms, like norms are something beyond like the technical rules, right? They're kind of like these agreements that we have that allow things to function. And so many times there's been so much ink spilled describing how Donald Trump's busting norms and going beyond norms, but the disregard that he has for anything, I mean, that's what's really reflected in this argument that, well, he's he's got so little legal responsibility while in the office that even if he shot somebody, we wouldn't you wouldn't be able to prosecute him until he left the office. Like, I don't believe, it, Nixon resigned from the office, so I don't know if there's been any president who would ever push it this far it reveals one of the dangerous things is a democracy takes some level of good faith from everybody who's involved. It's not really well equipped to, to handle someone who has that deep and a binding disregard for the law and who will act in bad faith any way that is required, as long as it fits his needs. So we'll,
1: we'll, we'll we are going <clears> to <throat> get into this because the utter disregard that Donald Trump has for the law is like the utter disregard he has for protocol that presidents generally follow and with dealing with dip in diplomacy, international diplomacy, the way they treat people who criticize them. President you're president of the United States, you're, you're going to be criticized. That comes with the job. Donald Trump turns it into a federal case anytime anyone dares says something about him. And, uh, you know, we, we were talking about this a little bit when we get into uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman and uh, the fight, the, the counterattack about him. Uh, but you mentioned Bill Barr. Let's go to Bill Barr. That's next on my agenda anyway. He's Attorney General of the United States, appointed to that position by Donald Trump. And um, wow, just You have argued to me off, you know, off mic. I think the last time you were on, you might have argued on the mic uh, that Bill Barr may be more egregious in his violations of the Constitution than Donald Trump. Uh, And uh, there's an impeach Bill Barr movement uh, going on. Uh, The specific issue I have in my mind right now is Bill Barr, it turns out, uh, has been traveling to various countries looking for dirt on Joe Biden. And Joe Biden's son, obviously, uh, Joe Biden, the Trump campaign, re-election campaign, fears him the most. I'm not sh- quite sure why they fear him. Uh, I would think that he would be the easiest candidate to be, but whatever. Uh, and so uh, he's been digging. But how is it legal or proper for the Attorney General of the United States to venture uh, to a foreign country to look for dirt on a political opponent of his boss?
0: The only way you could say it's legal is the same way that they're arguing that everything Donald Trump does is legal, is legal. And that is he's doing it and therefore it's legal. There is nothing prop. So first of all, um, you, you look at the thing, the scope of what Barr has decided is, is all that he's really going to work on while he's in this office. Um, besides Biden, it's also to go back to What the president would call the oranges or the origins, that's the real word, (laughs) but the origins of the investigation into him while his campaign was pending in 2016. I mean, they so that means that you've got a complete unanimity among intelligence agencies and American investigative like CIA, FBI, NSC, everybody agrees about what happened in 2016. So he's going around looking for anything that he could find, even being
1: more specific to the point that what happened in 2016 is that uh, Russian hackers uh, infiltrated uh, the computers of the Democratic Party. Is that what you're talking about? That
0: They hacked, that they disseminated the information and that they did it to help Trump. That's correct. So that, Mm -hmm. you know, other than the fact that uh, that doesn't look good, it also the reason why you can imagine it goes to Trump's core is because it creates doubt. Or at least it, it it lessens the magnitude of his great victory. Mm-hmm. So for somebody with such a fragile ego, that's a really big deal. So that's like a number one job. But think about that. That means the chief person in charge of the Department of Justice is going around investigating his own department in in matters that were clear cut. There the evidence is ample. It's clear. Only if you read it with the with a weird conspiratorial bent, that you'd have to be you know watching mainlining sean hannity to to be able to like believe the connecting these dots in a bizarre fashion that somehow well actually it wasn't russia but it was the ukraine that was doing it and and this whole thing about a server that somehow magically like like a mythical server that some like these are the but he's going out trying to find the facts about this which also includes looking at allies in australia or italy or i think even israel and ukraine and telling those allies hey so the information you gave us before, the tips that you gave us or uh, your when you reached out to the CIA to say, hey, there's a problem and we got some intelligence or whatever they did, whatever their role was. Can you investigate that and find out if actually you were wrong when you did that? Like, how insane is that? That that's what he's been doing. That's what he, that's the, that's the effect of that. So that's punching allies in the face. It's a it's a very, you know undiplomatic form of foreign policy, like you're going around telling him that their involvement was actually somehow bad when, again, the conclusions have already been drawn and the evidence is clear. And so then beyond that, he apparently is also involved in this wacky Ukraine fiasco. It's not just Giuliani as a private lawyer. It's also Barr because Barr's name was all over that reconstructed transcript. And so he's doing he's he's got his hands in all of these things. And they all obviously they all have one unifying purpose other than vindicating Donald Trump's fragile ego. And that is trying to get reelected.
1: Well, uh, we'll probably be talking about this many times down the road. But my sense is that uh, a lot of Democrats misread. Or underestimated, whatever the, whatever word you want to do. I think a combination of both. Bill Barr, mm-hmm. uh, when uh, he was approved to be Attorney General uh, f- to replace, um, just blanked on the name of the guy who re- he replaced um, as Attorney General. Who was who did he replace as Attorney well, The senator from Alabama. Yeah,
0: Whitaker was the Whitaker the, the, was the one interim, in between. Yeah, I don't know if he was ever like actually uh, submitted for confirmation to the Senate. But yeah, Jeff Sessions. Yeah, Jeff Sessions. How the could third. I forget
1: that name? Um, He's
0: who now looks like a great legal? You know, w- honestly, m- mind. He at least kind of looks like he was at least patriotic. I mean, he was had meetings with Russians in 2016 too, but. At least he didn't do this.
1: Well, I mean, the, the bar is so low; he recuses himself. But anyway, uh, he, <laughs> he, very, yeah, you know, very... I mean, he did recuse himself from an investigation. Uh, uh, the MP, uh, now, but okay, so here is: Do you think that Democrats and Republicans—well, forget Republicans for the matter—do you think that 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 they were underestimated Bill Barr's partisanship?
0: I think that the the Beltway um, establishment media political complex had this false notion that he was an institutionalist and i mean he'd been in the office before but as we've even remarked about before this has become a refrain every time we talk about Barr. he was involved in covering up iran contra back in 1991 so i don't know why that wasn't more that was be- wasn't better vetted or maybe a guy like senator joe manchin was going to vote to approve him anyway and it doesn't really make any difference because he's in kind of a strange position when it comes to this kind of thing but um i want to say two or three other democrats also voted to confirm him so it wasn't a strict it wasn't like a 53-47 split which i think is the senate present uh, makeup mm-hmm. and Even that gives more validity to him because he can, oh, well, you know, he wasn't, he got more than the 53 Republican votes and therefore uh, you can't look at him as a pure partisan. But this was a wolf in sheep's clothing kind of situation. There's no doubt about it.
1: The thing is, is that uh, Democrats are in a tough position because they don't. Donald Trump is constantly he's working the refs. He's constantly saying uh, there's a witch hunt that uh, they they won't let him do anything. They're just opposed to a knee jerk opposition. So Democrats find themselves in the position of trying to prove that they're not just against Trump. And so they'll look the other way. I saw this uh, going back when after the um, Democrats uh, rejected Bork uh for the um the white house the supreme court nomination uh what was it alito i can't remember who came right after him but boom they just wanted to prove to, to yeah. a large degree that that was just a one-time deal about bork uh they weren't going to just be uh, uh oppose whoever uh reagan put up so when i come here fast forward to bill Barr, i get there was a feeling like yeah we don't we want to show that uh we're bipartisan we're not just partisans etc and so forth and they're trying to paint him as someone like this goes way back before your time jim but there was like a, like these uh washington insiders like archibald cox who was i believe a republican or a moderate republican from the 70s who was a watergate uh he was put in charge of the watergate investigation for a while until nixon fired him so I, I, th- I have the same sense that that's what's at play here that you know let's just all pretend that we, we, we uh, share the same norms.
0: Well, you know what there, that would be they could they could have couched it in the notion that he had been an attorney general, he's been around Washington and maybe importantly, wasn't part of Trump's campaign, right? So like he wasn't, so Sessions was like the first senator to endorse. So even that, you could see the difference between they could make a very fine distinction over how politicized the guy was, except the problem with that is Barr was the one who wrote a 10 page memo, basically calling Robert Mueller a fraud, What three, four months or two months before he got appointed to the position Mm -hmm. running through the thing and writing again, as if it was a, a fan fiction, you know, like, like pulse-racing, uh, conspiratorial nonsense about why the the Mueller investigation was was f- founded on faulty principles, and all these actors are just out to get Donald Trump, and, and here's all this other unproven nonsense that, that actually gives you a counter-theory and a counter-narrative. I mean, here's a serious, I think, I mean, at least before this, a guy who had serious clients, at least in Washington, D.C., who took the time to do this, presumably not nobody paid him to do it, writes a thick 10 page single space thing that does demonstrate that he has an angle going into it. I don't know why that wasn't enough on its own to just say, well, you know what? He might be an institutionalist, but the guy's already, he's already decided what the Mueller report says before anybody's seen it. Yeah, It hadn't been released because you and I both know that he was in charge before it was released and mischaracterized. It's as he put the term principle conclusions, which I think was a term that he used back in 1991 when he was covering up uh, Iran-Contra,
1: which which what was that the?
0: phrase? Principal conclusions. It's like his go-to phrase. Well, and
1: what does that mean?
0: Well, when he that was what he he claimed that those were the the actual takeaways from the Mueller report, but they weren't. Mm-hmm. They were his own conclusions. But he characterized them as if that's what you would you would see that in the report, and they weren't there. Yeah, because yeah. Mueller didn't say I didn't prosecute him because there wasn't evidence of it. He never said that. What he said was, I can't tell you the real reason, which is I would prosecute him if it wasn't for the DOJ restriction. They put that in a footnote, but they didn't, he wouldn't go that far because he's Bob Mueller. And he's, he actually is an institutionalist and, and he's, if he was fighting, which he's not, he's nonpartisan here. At best, he's fighting with one hand tied behind his back. So let's
1: follow this. There could be, I'm just following this, the logic here, uh, Yes, uh, tomorrow, we're doing this interview on a Wednesday. You'll hear it, Lord knows when, as I say. But tomorrow, Thursday, October 31st, the House will vote. On whether to have an official impeachment inquiry,
0: spooky stuff. It's
1: uh, yeah, we're it's coming down to it on Halloween. On Halloween, uh, absolutely very scary for the uh, the Trump White House. Uh, so you could have, uh, I presume that vote will, p- will carry the Democrat. I don't think Nancy Pelosi in a million years would call a vote. <laughs> she didn't know she had the votes, so <laughs> no, it, I, I presume so. that's going to carry. Uh, so that imp- uh, impeachment inquiry, which is very much on anyway, will really kick in the gear. Yeah. And then, so while you're having Mount the Democrats mounting the case for the trial of Donald Trump uh, for his crimes and misdemeanors, you could have a grand jury uh, being presented evidence that uh, federal prosecutors or Justice Department investigators overstepped their bounds or were somehow or other complicit uh, with Democrats in unfairly uh, targeting Donald Trump for uh, investigation or prosecution. So we could have sort of like contrary investigations going at each other in the criminal justice system at the same time.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're right because, well, and I do have to point this out that it's John Durham, who is the United States attorney for the district of Connecticut. I don't think they have multiple districts. It's just, it's just Connecticut. So that's the place where by rumor, there has been impaneled a grand jury, or there will be one or the other. That is, those are secret deliberations. So whatever is actually happening there, that would be the place purportedly that Barr is having Durham actually present to a grand jury evidence so that they could issue indictments to somebody, some, as you point, they would be investigators, people who are part of taking the intelligence, the raw intelligence or any um, notifications that were sent to them, like from the Australian prime minister who George Papadopoulos was talking to, and then turning around and looking at, well, what actually is out there? Uh, who actually hacked the DNC server. But the story that they would have to tell is that the Democrats had Ukraine hack their own server and then use that information to help Hillary Clinton lose the election in order to somehow frame Donald Trump when he's elected in the future, which they wouldn't actually want to happen anyway. Mm -hmm. I just had to play that out because I needed to hear myself say it out loud because it is bonkers.
1: Yeah. It is really absurd. I mean, that's
0: really what they ultimately are alleging. But instead, all you hear are like individual strands and how Peter Strack wrote these text messages so he's somehow nefarious but whatever I, yeah. I, I
1: digress and and let's go back to the, the point you made at the outset that D- Donald Trump's uh, ultimate accusation is that this is an attempt by uh, Democrats to lessen the validity of his mandate in 2016 and we point out one more time as I never get tired of pointing out he did not actually have a mandate he was not elected by popular vote he was elected as a result of this cockamamie electoral college system that we have right. and uh, it was very close in the states that provided him the difference so you know if we were like a parliamentarian system uh, he would have had to negotiate with opponents or opposition parties to form a a ruling coalition Mm -hmm. much like they would do in england or israel etc you know and (laughs) that would give more validity to his claim that he uh, had a mandate what what i find um most upsetting, well, I I shouldn't say most upsetting, but I find upsetting about Donald Trump is that from the moment he eked out this very narrow victory, Jim, he's claimed a mandate that he actually never got mm-hmm. and, uh, has, and ruled as though the overwhelming majority of people in this country wanted him to do the things he's doing when he didn't even get a majority of the, the, the voters in the first place.
0: Well, he convinced himself that what you're saying is wrong because he knows... He knows that at least 3 million people voted illegally wherever, in California or in Malta, whatever it is. But the, there it is. he has a completely impenetrable, self-reinforcing psychology, psychosis, whatever it is that's going on up there. I mean, that's why that was one of the first things that he had to talk about because he needs that to be true. Nothing pierces it. I don't know. It's really bizarre. I, yeah. it's kinda terrifying that somebody like that has any power in the world. But just watching this this bizarre train wreck for the last two, three years now, it's there's so much to it. Yeah. I mean there's so much wrong there. Um, no, he didn't have a mandate. It wasn't even close. I mean, even if you like obviously the Electoral College is the reason, but it's it's also not just California. He he you know, you think about go to those states like Forty nine percent of the people in Pennsylvania voted for Hillary Clinton. Forty eight percent of oh, them. Yeah. And It was it, you know it's not like only California voted, but that's how he that's how he builds
1: it. Oh yeah. You mean the, not, it's not? What do, you, what do you mean by it's not just California? Well,
0: that the 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 margin of that Hillary couldn't beat him by was maybe two or three million votes. Oh yeah. It wasn't just out of California. So people yeah. obsess about California, but like that margin is creates a whatever. He lost the whole thing by a million and a half votes because he only won Florida by. percent like every state voted for hillary clinton every state had people voting just to vote against him
1: yeah no i it's it's utterly ludicrous and uh but you're right and and i mean this is not a legal issue Uh, i'll so i don't really want to spend too much time on it but i talk about this with other guests a lot does donald trump actually believe the nonsense that he spouts uh, you know, like, does a con man believe his con? I have to believe that the great con men don't fall for the cons. It's like the great drug dealers don't sample their, uh, their wares. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they just sell it. So the great con men don't actually believe. Like, Houdini, did, you know, his whole thing was he never believed anyone. Well, Houdini, the great escape artist. He never believed any, uh, like, magician. He goes, "Well, there's there's a trick there somewhere. It's yeah. not magic." Yeah. Uh so at the back I I sometimes believe as he is a grifter. He's a con man. So I don't believe he actually believes the stuff he says.
0: I think he I think that's true, but I think the other side of the coin is that he needs to believe that everybody loves him. So he knows that he's lying to everybody. He knows there's some old story the the editor for the new yorker magazine was telling some story about meeting with trump at something or somebody was telling him no it was an architect was giving an interview and so the the new yorker editor i can't think of his name off the top of my head but he was explaining this that the guy was supposed to he designed something for trump so he's supposed to be at the press conference right and they're going to talk about how great the building is and he tells him well you know just tell him it's 68 stories and it's 58 stories and he's like what that's 10 more stories. Wow, He's like, just give him the old Trump bullshit. It's fine. You know, he's telling the architect to just lie about how tall, <laughs> how tall a building is. We're talking about a very objective, provable or disprovable fact, right? So, like, I mean, maybe it's a third-hand story. So, I don't know if that really happened, but I believe it because yeah. it fits with everything else about him that he knows it's a con. But – he also is desperate to, like, convince himself that everybody loves him as much as he loves himself. And, or I don't know if he does, but he needs everybody else to. That's the, that's the expression you saw on his face at the baseball game oh, with the, the, the Game 5 balls, of the World yeah. Series on Sunday night. Yeah. Like, he goes from thinking that everybody's cheering to realizing that most of the people are not. And all of a sudden, it's like he, he was about to lose his lunch.
1: Yeah. Well, the last time I saw that look on his face... Uh, I hate to go back in memory, Banks, was when he was sitting at the uh, press club, National Press Club uh, banquet where (laughs) where, uh, Barack Obama was ripping him. uh, And uh, that, I think, the origins of his presidential run occurred there. So uh, it it rebounded against the country uh, in that last instance. All right, let's move on on is it legal. Uh, Lindsey Graham's resolution in the Senate uh, condemning... (laughs) condemning the congressional investigation of donald trump i mean first of all what are the explain the the ramifications of that or you know if it has any meaning at all but and also just the absurdity (laughs) of like the republican party weighing in at this stage so strongly throwing in so strongly behind donald trump throwing out the window you know just like the the split between the checks and balance system we have that's supposed to protect the country from executive abuses. You know what I'm just, just we're just going to throw that out the window right yes. now.
0: Oh, that's what he's advocating. I have had so many thoughts about this for the last two or three weeks, listening to these process objections. Um, I'm, I'm tweeting way too much at people about these things, but uh, but seriously, so n- number one, you have to keep in mind what actually is happening and, and Jim Jordan and Lindsey Graham and, uh, Matt Gates and every congressional Republican who's been talking about this has lied about it. It's not debatable. Number one, if you read the Constitution, which I went back and checked because I actually wanted to see what the words were. There isn't anything in there about a vote. It explicitly just says that the, the House has uh, either plenary or complete control over the pro- over the process of impeachment. That's it. Total power over impeachment.
1: So, in other words, they do not have to have a vote. No. Nope. Uh, no procedural
0: outlines. We'll there's, no, there's no qualifications. Ordering
1: it, you got to put. In other words, they don't have to put it to vote whether you're going to have an impeachment inquiry.
0: The elegance of the the Constitution, or sometimes when you hear people claim what they're saying is in there, it's usually very simple. There's not. It's not. It's a very short document, and so when you go back and look, it's like, what are they talking about? That's not here. And if it's, and importantly, if it's not there. There's no other thing that could compel it to be true. The only other thing governing this would be the House's rules themselves. So let's back up. We got two things going on. Number one, there is no Department of Justice investigation of Trump for these crimes and high crimes and misdemeanors. In 1996, or whenever they started, 1997, there was was an independent counsel. As we all know, Kenneth Starr was investigating Clinton. There was an investigation done in the the 80s, which ultimately uh, Lawrence Walsh was was quashed in his efforts, but he was a special investigator trying to determine whether or not they were going to have any impeachment of Ronald Reagan. And you go back to the Nixon era, there was a special investigator in charge of that, right? There isn't one now. Why? Because Bill Barr refuses to do it. The the activities in Ukraine, that conversation, and the the shakedown that was going on, I'm going to stop using the word leverage, uh, the shakedown that was going on, that was referred to the Justice Department. And their answer was, eh. so normally, if you, didn't, if you had an independent uh, attorney general, mm-hmm. Barr would have appointed a special counsel, not, not the Mueller special counsel, a new one, or it could be Mueller, I don't know. Anybody you want would be the person who would do exactly what the House Intelligence Committee is doing right now. Mm-hmm. That was very clearly explained by, I think, an, a very qualified person to be in charge of this process, uh, Congressman Adam Schiff from California. Because that was one of the things he put in a letter not too long ago was to remind everyone, look, these secret meetings, which they are not secret. Let's make that very clear. That is complete and utter nonsense. They are actually the investigatory process that would have otherwise taken place akin to a criminal grand jury Mm -hmm. if a special prosecutor had been appointed and and the system worked the way that it's normally supposed to work. So what do you do? They figured out a workaround. They decided, well, obviously, we can't just disregard these obvious crimes and this, this serious abuse of power that's happening right in front of our eyes. So we'll have to do the investigation. We'll have to conduct the depositions. And that means bringing witnesses in and asking them questions about what they know. So that's, first of all, where this is coming from. That's a really important point. Mm-hmm. And it's, it would have otherwise been done a different way. So Graham and everybody else's objections about that part of the process are complete and utter nonsense. And as we just pointed out, you also don't need a vote. You can say, which they are apparently going to say in the resolution for tomorrow, that it is, it is continuing what has already begun as an inquiry because the House has complete and plenary power to do whatever they want about this. doesn't matter if anybody objects. And then last, the other thing about this is they've been screaming and crying about due process, about, well, the, the president's lawyers can't cross-examine these witnesses. It doesn't matter. Think about it in the grand jury context. Criminals don't like the the accused doesn't their lawyer doesn't show up there. It's just the prosecutor. It's that old silly phrase about you can you know, you can diet a ham sandwich because the only guy in the room, the only lawyer who gets to show them whichever evidence he wants to is the prosecutor. Mm -hmm. So there wouldn't be any say if this was any other kind of investigation. And also they don't have one now more. But but let's back that up. There are Republicans in these rooms, unless, besides their stupid sideshows where they're, they're storming, <laughs> storming a room, which yeah. I think there's even like a little hint of misogyny because that was a, fem- there was a woman that was testifying that day, like this big intimidating, like we're a bunch of men in suits and then we're gonna eat pizza. Like that, that whole sideshow was just a deviation from, most of those guys were allowed to have been in that room in an official capacity and didn't have to act like a bunch of juvenile like lunatics. Like, they could have just been there instead of pretending. This is all just, it's, it's just, it's...
1: There. In other words, first of all, there were Republicans in the room uh, who are on the committee, so they were there as part of the official Correct. procedure. But you're also saying that in addition to those Republicans who are on the committee, uh, any Republican who wanted to could just wander into the room and listen.
0: They could have asked for permission. They, they can't automatically just wander into the room because intelligence is, it, it's a restricted situation. But if they had asked, I don't know, maybe Schiff would have said yes. As long as they don't bring in their cell phones, which they're not supposed to do yeah. because it's done in a secure facility, a skiff, which is supposed to be like radio silence so that you can't transmit anything that's inside. And you can keep classified and top secret information classified and top secret. So the due process argument also fails on that count. And ultimately, what, what's going to be in that resolution for tomorrow is that they will have every opportunity if they want to cross-examine these witnesses when there is an open hearing. Yeah. Just like if there was a, a either a preliminary hearing in a criminal case, which is kind of what this is like, or a trial. Either way, they're, they will have the opportunity to be there.
1: Yeah. You know, I got to tell you, Jim, I've lived so long. I've seen things that I can't believe. Uh, There was just, um, uh, this is a tangent with a tangent, one of my infamous ones, but I just got to share this with you. Yesterday's newspaper had a story about... Uh, Abby Hoffman's archives. And Abby Hoffman was an anti war activist uh, who was prosecuted with seven other anti war activists back in 1969 on what I consider real trumped up charges of coming to Chicago to incite a riot during the Democratic National Convention. And he was a very flamboyant, colorful character uh, who committed suicide in the, the late 80s. But the point I'm making is that his attitude was to mock, make a mockery of the whole criminal justice system of the whole establishment because the as as he saw it the establishment was just completely out of order uh there was no democratic principles that were governing it so why take it seriously at all the best thing to do is to make fun of it and mock it i've now moved on that was 50 years ago okay 1969 and i'm watching establishment republicans Channeling their inner Abby Hoffman to like make a mockery of a system that they've dedicated their lives to, that their party has dedicated its itself to, and I I shake my head because. Like I would have almost appreciate what they were doing if they were raising these issues, let's say, about the incarceration of so many like poor black people on these crazy drug charges fair, over fair. the last 30 years, uh, you know, or the policing of our cities. But no, Donald Trump came to Chicago on Monday and gave this fiery speech to the police chiefs. We're going to send a surge into the cities. We're going to lock up more people. You get what I'm saying? But so of all the things... For them to take this principled quote, and I have principled, that's why I said what you meant by principled uh, conclusion, I got the word principled in quotes, of all the things to take a stand for, this is just... A mockery of a mockery. If for you a, follow what I'm saying,
0: for a dilettante real estate developer that somehow stumbled into the White House, yeah, yeah, uh, like he, like he's the cause, as as opposed to Hoffman, who was trying to say that this system is unjust for for everybody, yeah, except for those who are connected, connected. Yeah, he is. It's like he is connected. How many more breaks do you need to get? You know, <laughs> like that's a, it's a, it, The contrast makes it even more stark when you compare it to that.
1: Yeah. Uh, by the way, his great quote, Abby Hoffman, before we move on. In the halls of justice, all that justice is done in the halls. That was an Abby Hoffman quote. Uh, God bless you, Abby Hoffman. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you 100% Lindsey Graham. Uh, that's a bogus resolution. And uh, he just shows what a lapdog he is to Donald Trump when he does it. All right. The breaking news yesterday. Uh, I think it was yesterday. Things are happening so fast, I can mm-hmm. barely keep up, Jim. Uh, Alexander Vindman uh, testified. He's lieutenant colonel, worked uh, in the White House. And that was very I, well. Obviously, I just read a transcript of his opening statement, right. uh, so I do not know literally what he he said. I wasn't there. It wasn't publicized, as you pointed out. It's uh, it, there probably will be a public recitation of it down the road. Uh, but his central accusation is that when the, the White House released that summary, that infamous summary you alluded to of the phone conversation between Trump and the president of Ukraine they doctored it. They didn't, (laughs) they left out some particularly relevant passages. So how is it legal to doctor an official summary uh, of a conversation uh, when it's regarding the president of the United States?
0: Well, you know, so that's, that's a good question because in this situation, like we talked about this, it's, it's, it's interesting. This falls into a pattern that a lot of these other Trump things fall into. Like, it starts with something that actually is how things work, that there is a complicated process that's usually not something that most people are familiar with because whoever, what average citizen cares about readouts from diplomatic calls that the press, you know, that's a common thing that they've had for years that they'll give the press, here's what we talked about with the premier of China today. Here's what we, Most people don't care about any of that stuff, right? And there's a very tech, but they, those who are institutionalists try to do these things right. There is a very technical process that's involved to create a record, an official record of of the official diplomatic communications that we're having with other countries, which in this case is that telcon, which of course now there's even more details of how ex- exactly how that is done and more focus on the technical parts of it. But the key here is it's not recorded. They claim I don't know. I still don't know if I believe that, but it's used as voice recognition software. So while Trump is on the phone with President Zelensky. It's it's listening to what both of them are saying and taking that information and transcribing it based on like you know like Dragon Dictation or one of these things you'd have on your phone, and particularly the word Barisma isn't now that that would actually make sense because Barisma is a com, is a is a proper noun it's an, it's not a common word it's the name of a company and you know whatever it doesn't even sound like an American kind of thing so if the if it's an English language software it wouldn't know what to do with that word so what happens when those things happen and there are both the dictation software is listening, but also there are note takers listening to the call, taking their own notes and you know, they've got their own immediate recollection and they're going to make this reconstructed transcript in the short day or two afterwards. Cause that's just their job. That's their job to do it. So one of the people that oversees what's here in this case is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, because that's his job. He's involved in the, 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 communications and our diplomacy with Ukraine. <laughs> so when he sees it, he knows the word Barisma bur- was in there, which by the way, the significance of that would be, they've been trying to say all along that they're, you know, well, th- this just kind of came up on the call. And then there wasn't any prior, uh, you know, lobbying of, of president Zelensky to look at Barisma. But according to this testimony, Zelensky was the one that brought up Brisma, which means somebody had been in his ear about this already, which Mm -hmm. goes back to Giuliani's lies about when he started and who he was talking to and whether he was feeding them this evidence, as opposed to trying to extract legitimate evidence of something that actually happened. So this is, it's like the 20th bombshell about the Ukraine situation. It's extremely damning because here (laughs) Zin uh, tries to say, um, Hey guys, uh, clearly there was, there, was, there was commentary in here where the president of Ukraine said Burisma and Donald Trump said something about Joe Biden being recorded. Like, again, a huge bombshell. And both things are covered by ellipses. So we should, we should correct that and make sure the record is correct. And I'll read it. This is the line from the New York Times article about it from last night, or maybe today actually, mm-hmm. it was updated. The, the paragraph, it's about the eighth paragraph down, it is not clear why some of Colonel Vin- Vindman's changes were not made, but the decision by a White House lawyer to quickly lock down the reconstructed transcript subverted the normal process of handling such documents, according to people familiar with the matter. Why would a White House lawyer be involved in, in how and whether you're creating certain edits and changes to a reconstructed transcript of a diplomatic call? Like maybe somebody from the State Department might come back and say, well, there could be a problem with this because that's information we're not prepared to, whatever, include in this readout. We don't want that public or something. A White House lawyer is changing this and and overruling uh, what I assume to be a legitimate point that was being made by Vindman, who is a patriot. He is a Purple Heart. He has served his country for at least 20-something years, I think. Um, all this slandering of him as an, he came here as a three-year-old. So yeah. I don't know how he's some kind of a secret agent for Ukraine is, I, I was so disgusted by what I heard from John, Yu the other night on Fox news. And, uh, you know, there's a great c- political commentator. And well, now he's a former ambassador, Michael McCall or McFall. Mm-hmm. The guy who teaches at Stanford has been, you know, like apoplectic about this. And I could feel it. Like I'm, I'm channeling the same thing because good Lord, like there's a guy who's really Put himself in dangerous positions to serve his country, and that's how they react to it. Which I guess is is a tell. You know that you've got them dead to rights when all they've got left is 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 uh, this kind of slam. Well,
1: it's uh, you know, as a, you're a lawyer. You go into court, you and there's damning testimony against your client. Uh, what you're left to do is try to somehow or other uh, demean the reputation of the person. Giving the testimony, so let's say I'm just you know you're a personal injury lawyer, and you're up against uh, an expert witness uh, who is testifying that there was absolutely nothing wrong with what the company did that sold the product that mm-hmm. led to someone's death or illness. Uh, so you would then obviously go, well, how many of these cases have you represented? You know, you do absolutely. stuff
0: to diminish the significance. Sure. How much have you been paid? Yeah. How many times have you worked for this company before? I wouldn't go with, well, isn't it true that you were born in Russia? You came over here when you were five years old? Which is
1: three. But anyway, what is so bizarre, which is just so outrageous, and it just uh, assumes a complete ignorance on the part of American people, this guy was a Jewish refugee from the Soviet Union. (laughs) I can't even get the words out. It's not like he has this affinity to what exists, the homeland. He was driven from the quote-unquote homeland. You know what I'm saying? So it's like some of Trump's uh, apologists are going, oh my God, he's got this affinity for Ukraine. So he's defending the, what, are
0: you crazy? Well, speaking of one of our favorite lawyers, I think Giuliani's (laughs) line about this had something to do about, like (laughs) he's advising both countries at the same time. What the heck? I'm sorry, what in the hell are you talking about? This is a podcast. I can say Yeah, you can right. say
1: whatever you want. What the, the hell are you talking about? I read that last <laughs> yeah. night,
0: and I was like, what?
1: All right, we're, that's a whole... Th- we're pro- I think I'm going to do a whole special how is this legal <laughs> on Giuliani alone. True. I'm not going to uh, raise Giuliani, but I'm starting to think, based on what you're telling me, that uh, one of the many things to worry about Donald Trump and, the, and his transactional attitude uh, to foreign relations is that... In exchange for the aid and assistance that the United States Congress has appropriated for these various countries or that he may uh, de- uh, request Congress to appropriate, in, in exchange for that, he wants them to say whatever it is that he writes on a script at that very moment mm-hmm. to undercut the investigations into him or to inflate his the made-up accusations against his opponent. So they're just sort of like saying – it's sort of like he says – they say, okay – Let's see. Get me. Let me get this straight. My The aid from you is contingent on me saying what? Uh, I want you to say there's an investigation into Joe Biden or to the Australian. Okay, the aid to me is to say what? Uh, to say that it's not true that you gave yeah. that information uh, to the FBI, et and so forth. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's yes. like a very transactional aspect to it. And they're just supposed to lie for him whenever he asks them to lie. Well,
0: you know he's, he's spent his whole life doing a what's in it for me attitude about everything. Thing. He even, you know, the, like I, I didn't even know if I wanted to be president. Cause that man, I couldn't make money anymore, which is a lie because his business is a failure. <laughs> I, but, but the point is, it's always about what's in it for yeah. me, but you're not supposed to do that. Like, that's the whole point. You can't hold up aid until you get yours. Yeah. It, and you're. Not, it's not even him. You know, he, he usually uses that word. Like I gave them this, whether it's a bill that was, was passed or, or some kind of negotiation or I gave. I gave, you do not give anything. Yeah. You work for us. You're the executive. You carry out the actions at the behest of, of the American people. But that's not how. I mean, it's it's not. He's not capable of thinking that way. And as far as you know, like like with this, even just with this, now we know exactly what they were at. They wanted Zelensky to go on CNN and explicitly say there is an open investigation into Joe Biden and his son for illegally, you know, for Biden illegally influencing what investigations were being being done. Into Ukraine and into this Burisma company because of on behalf of his son, he was intervening, which is the timeline is completely wrong. Like that, his son wasn't even at the company at the time that that investigation was closed. So like, there's no factual basis for any of this. But that, like, as we get deeper into it, as we learn about Igor Fruman and Lev Parnas, a couple of just thugs who've been (laughs) scamming people their whole lives, it sounds like. And now, like even today, there was another piece. That apparently th- there was there was lobbying going back. Now they haven't tied this back to Trump yet, but former representative Livingston.
1: I just saw that's breaking Bob the story. Bob Livingston yeah.
0: apparently is is registered as a foreign yes uh, from Louisiana. The, yeah, he, so he is registered, or his company is under FARA to be a foreign lobbyist. But apparently he he was doing things to slam uh, former ambassador of Ivanovic mm-hmm. even as of 2017. Was was this the long tail that had started a long time ago? Because and all the real evidence is that Ivanovich has done nothing but act like a complete professional. She was the ambassador until the, they finally got rid of her, but that was all part of this this scheme to get Sondland in there to have some you know lackey be the one to deliver the messages and be the go between. So I, I mean, their other excuse has been. Well, this just happened. This isn't, it's not like we've been doing this for a long time or, you know, th- th- there's no proof that, that uh, Ukraine knew about any of this. Apparently it goes back to Poroshenko. It goes back before this Zelensky even became president. So, uh, you know, the deeper you get, that's why like whatever they vote on tomorrow in the house, there is so much evidence here, you know, even, even a half-witted U.S., like the worst prosecutor they have, and they are excellent lawyers, okay? I'm not saying there's anybody who's not good anywhere across the justice system, except for those who are showing too much political bias, but you wouldn't have to be a very good prosecutor to put this evidence on and convict somebody.
1: Well, we'll see. I I feel as though, uh, despite what you just said, uh, it's not exactly... (laughs) Let's
0: put it this way. Not in the Senate. I mean, like in a a regular case, as you said, if this was Joe Blow and there was this much evidence of him doing some foreign illegal act... He would have already played by now.
1: You know, uh, when you get to a jury trial, you know this, you're a a lawyer, a trial lawyer, uh, you start picking the jury. What's it called? What's the legal term for? Vordier. Okay. So, Vordier, you have certain objections. Each each lawyer uh, gets an objection. If I'm a lawyer prosecuting Donald John Trump for the crimes that uh, all this evidence says he committed, Man, I'm kicking off. I'm objecting to every single Republican senator uh, in the Senate, okay, because you know how they go. They ask somebody in a capital case, well, can you, uh, you know, in your good conscience, uh, order somebody to, to die? And they, if they say no, the judge kicks them off. Sorry, you can't. So you would have to ask these senators. Is there any way you would ever, in a million years, convict Donald John Trump, even a murder if he admitted it? Or,
0: or better, have you finally, it's been two and a half years, have you finally figured out a way to extricate your political welfare from this clown? <laughs> yeah. Can you have a little courage and stand on your own and just and not be tied at the hip to this lunatic? And I guess, I mean, at least 40-something of them couldn't even say Could
1: do there. that. All right. Uh, yes, that's correct. Uh, the people who signed on to uh, Lindsey Graham's insane resolution. All right. Uh, we're going to leave with this one. This has been my favorite question of the week. I pretty much ask everybody who uh, comes into the studio this. It's a Facebook question. Uh, AOC, uh, Congresswoman Alexander Acosta Cortez uh, grilled Mark Zuckerberg, the head of CEO, uh, the other day, I think it was last Friday or maybe Thursday. I can't remember. losing track of time, Jim. Uh, on the matter of... whether uh, facebook felt a responsibility to police its platform from blatant lies put there by well donald trump uh about people he's running against in this case joe biden and uh mark zuckerberg essentially responded by saying uh he believes in free speech and he's not going to regulate the speech of people who choose to advertise on Facebook. So if they want to lie, they're free to lie and let the public beware. That was his attitude, uh, which is an interesting interpretation of, of the rights and responsibilities of a publisher. Uh, I do, I've i been working in newspapers for a long time. I know of no newspaper anywhere that would say, well, you know, we're going to lie. We'll leave it up to the public to make up its mind. Uh so what's your thoughts? How is that legal, Jim Coogan?
0: Well, it's a. This is. it falls into the legal analysis because it's, it, it's a complete dodge. You saw the dodge in the way he answered. I mean, I, did you read the rest of his answer where he said, who am I and where, where am I again yeah. and why am I here? Yeah. I mean, he just pretended like he had no idea what the question was about. Yeah. And I mean, to, to maybe put a better or a, a firmer <laughs> gloss on your, your analogy to a publisher, it would be like if a publisher took money, printed something in there, didn't clarify anywhere that it was an advertisement, knowing that it was false and didn't bother to do anything about it. And it yeah. just like printed it as if it was part of the newspaper. I can, I think unequivocally say that no actual publisher would do that. Cause that's just, that's like criminal.
1: That is correct. Yeah. I that's mean, really true. Yeah. That,
0: right. That's what, mm-hmm. it, and that's cause if you, you know, you, you sent me the uh, the piece today where there was an open letter from Facebook employees to Zuckerberg at, crying out and saying, don't, Act this way, don't do this, and we should be better than this, and we could. Um, one of the things that they were pointing out in there, it was pretty detailed, mm. but one of the issues was even making it clearer what is a paid advertisement, specifically a paid political advertisement, because otherwise, like visually, because it's a visual media, you're looking at a, at a Facebook page on your computer or your phone, there's a, it's not really that distinct. They, these are the programmers, these are the, the folks who actually do the stuff in the company. They know that that's one of the important targets is how are people interpreting this? And, and I imagine that importantly, just like when you're looking at a Google page and there's advertisements, when you know it's an ad, that does influence mm-hmm. whether or not you may click on it. So that's a reason why for Facebook's purposes, they wouldn't want people to know that it's an ad and they'll share it and they'll, they'll get more clicks and they can charge the Trump campaign more money for it. Yeah. I mean, this goes to the to the, the uh, vein and, and uh, purposes of, of just turning a blind eye to doing any kind of actual vetting. But, you know, you called him a publisher the point that he's been trying to make is that he isn't. He's trying to make that distinction, and he's been trying to do it for the last four or five years since Facebook has garnered enough media attention and congressional attention to what they're doing in a variety of different aspects, spreading false information um, and spreading it like wildfire. But but if they aren't a, a publisher, that means he has no editorial responsibilities, and he doesn't have to actually determine whether or not what is being disseminated is actually true. I mean, it's, it's callous. It's, it's, it's deceitful. It's not true. He knows what they really are and he knows the secret sauces. They're not just a, they're not just a platform. That's, they're not just a technology company. That's absurd.
1: Well, I would argue, and you're not the first person that's made, I know you're just making that distinction uh, to explain what Zuckerberg's view is. Uh, I would argue that if he Zuckerberg is making a fortune Uh, By playing this point that he's not a publisher, that he's merely a platform, then it's time for us as a society to recognize that there's something damaging about allowing him to uh, opt out of it. Because if the same rules and regulations don't apply uh, to Zuckerberg that apply to a newspaper, that's... Uh, a, a hugely unfair advantage to uh, to Zuckerberg because a newspaper has to employ an editor, a fact checker. It has to. It is accountable for what it does. Donald Zuckerberg doesn't have. Uh, Donald Zuckerberg. I, <laughs> I merged Zuckerberg with Trunk. Mark That's Zuckerberg. Freudian. Yeah, Freudian. Yeah, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, Does not, he said, since he says, I'm just the bulletin board and they just poke, push whatever they want on it so that I don't have to hire an editor. I don't have to hire a fact checker, but you, you made a point that was a good one. The difference, or actually you were quoting the employees, paid speech is not free speech. What's the distinction there?
0: Well, that was another line from their, from their, uh, well, yeah, so that's a good point. We can look at this from a legal perspective instead of just yelling at Mark Zuckerberg. Um, the, the First Amendment, he's made a lot of these claims that it's about the First Amendment. And this is just like looking back at the Constitution to know whether or not the House has what their powers are with respect to impeachment. I mean, the First Amendment is about the government restricting your ability to, for example, go boo the president at a baseball game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's couched what their uh, their their liberty and their disobedience entanglement from any editorial responsibility and the notion that there's this is about free speech and so he can this is giving the people who use the platform and log in and type something out or upload something the ability to do what they want and i'm not going to tell them what to do that falls apart for a variety of reasons you know with like even a moment of scrutiny it just it craters because first of all he's not the government it's a private company he can police it any way he wants to And, you know, you can make people mad because you police it a certain way and people could, you know, close their, you know, close out their account and and, or decide not to click on anything out of protest or whatever, but they can police it any way they want as long as it's not violating some other law. There's no restriction on that. And the First Amendment is not a restriction on that. It's a dodge. It's a dodge because it's convenient because it sounds right, like, right, you know, people should have the ability to express themselves which is why it's the worst kind of dodge because you're, you're taking advantage of one of the great things about this country to make more money. Cause it's not about free speech. It's about you're taking money from folks who are using your very popular, very well-traveled and powerful algorithms to get eyeballs on their idiotic messages with Trump's in Trump's case, Mm -hmm. those messages, they getting eyeballs on that is valuable to them. You're giving them something and you're taking money in return It has nothing to do with free speech at that point. It means you're, you're selling, you're selling access to those guys. So whether or not they are telling the truth, you now own that pretending like somehow you either don't have the responsibility, couldn't do it, or because you're not a publisher, you don't, there's no obligation to is actively lying to everybody, including Congress. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, that was very well stated. And, uh, I'll put it to you this way, we've had this conversation in uh, past interviews and discussions regarding gun manufacturers. And I've always said to you that the moment uh, liability laws apply to gun manufacturers, the moment they're held accountable for the carnage caused by their product the way, let's say, the manufacturer of a car is, if the car is, falls apart and the people are, uh, are hurt in, the, in an accident or killed in the ensuing accident, the moment that happens, they will change their ways and on their own police themselves uh, to limit the, the, the uh, access of guns to certain people. Same thing for Mark Zuckerberg. The moment someone successfully files a lawsuit against Facebook, and you know this as well as anybody, Jim, they always say, go after the deep pockets. (laughs) All right, well, they don't get much deeper than Facebook. Uh, The moment someone successfully files that libel lawsuit against Facebook and uh, has damages awarded to them by a jury, that is the moment that uh, Mark Zuckerberg will drop all this gobbledygook about protecting free speech and the First Amendment. On a dime yeah. and to protect the fiduciary interests of his shareholders, he will change uh, that. Uh, he will drop that laissez-faire attitude of his and start putting some editors on Facebook uh, to block uh, this kind of uh, lies. Do you agree with me on that?
0: I think that, yeah, I mean, that's the power of having its consequences, whether they're the take the form of a civil remedy because somebody can sue them for liable, which I appreciate. And by the way, thank you for, for, for lauding the power of trial attorneys <laughs> and the civil justice system at the end of the show here, yeah, since I'm, true, I'm, a, yeah. I'm a big fan myself, but it's true. Like it's, it's like any other human behavior. Once there's some kind of a right now, There are no consequences. And even, I mean, I don't know what the the upshot of those hearings last week will end up being, but I don't think that it'll be substantial. So other than pillorying him publicly, there's not really any consequences even coming from Congress. You know, investors aren't leaving and users are not really leaving unless they're under the age of 15 and thinks that everybody on Facebook is an old dork. I mean, besides that, it's still a very lucrative platform. So the potential for something like that it, 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 clearly, in this case, Zuckerberg is affirming that that is the only thing he would respond to. Some people could do it in good conscience. We read we talked about before the show today that Tom Friedman wrote an opinion article today about this concept that yeah. and in the end of it, he says something like that, he'd love to hear the words come out of his mouth that I you know that Zuckerberg would drive the the Facebook value down to a dollar a share if that's what it takes to root out disinformation and stop being a platform that's spreading lies. By the way, at, I, the, at the cost yeah. of democracy.
1: I don't think it would drive down it. I mean the, uh, I guess the example, if you will, of a, a corporate strategy uh, in this regards is what Nike has done. Nike has taken a look at the marketplace. I'm, I'm, this is my speculation, Jim. I'm not privy to their thoughts, but my speculation, based on their behavior, they took a look at the marketplace. They took a look at the people they employ to uh, attract people to buy their shoes, and they came to the conclusion that it was in their best interest to stand with Colin Kaepernick. Sure. And that was a political decision as much... I mean, that was an economic decision as much as it was a political decision. They dressed it up like they believed in free speech. and the, But really what they were saying was, we're going to make more money standing with Colin Kaepernick than we would make if we uh, ran away from Colin Kaepernick. And they realized when they do that, they were offending Donald Trump's base. But they said they made a calculated decision. They said the marketplace is greater than Donald Trump's base. Right. We'll make more money by standing with Colin Kaepernick. And so f donald trump's base and by the way and i just believe that mark zuckerberg has been played by these republicans i don't think mark zuckerberg has an ideological bone in his body just wants power and money and so he let those republicans talk him into this position where well, i'm just policing you know i'm just letting the free market reign and now he's stuck with this so if he made like a decision like nike he may lose those republicans but the Colin Kaepernick lovers of yes. the world would... would
0: well, look, be and I, I do think it's the former, not the latter. I think it's an, it was much more an economic decision than a political decision. I mean, ma- maybe the people in that boardroom were fine with it politically and actually thought it was kind of a raw deal that Kaepernick's been getting. Because hmm. that was, ne- he
1: was... You're talking that about was, Nike. That was yeah. never
0: the nature of his protest. So yeah. I think that that's possible, but absolutely it was driven by economics.
1: I talking about the Nike decision, yeah, yes. Yeah, uh, Absolutely, Because yeah. if
0: you think about it, on top of everything else, it's a crowded marketplace of sneakers, right? Like you if your new venue, like you're going to get this niche over here and that's going to set you apart from Adidas and whoever else, then that's worth it. Yeah. You've set yourself aside now. That's the whole point. I mean, that's why it's worth it to them. And when it comes to Zuckerberg, This is another example of, like, you always talk about Trump working the refs. I mean, the the conservative media sphere has done this for years, talking about how it's all liberal media. And so, like, the Beltway people and down-the-middle people always try to both sides everything. And so Zuckerberg feels like he has to accommodate this garbage, this toxic garbage that they're putting out there because otherwise he'll be perceived as some kind of a lefty. and He's from Silicon Valley, and he's from California. And, I mean, let's not forget... California and Silicon Valley folks and, and all kinds of private companies have been threatened, harangued, and even made had decisions made adverse to their positions because Donald Trump is a punitive person. And he's run the the, the United States government like it was his own ability to lash out and hurt people. He's trying to hurt California. Yeah. He's trying to hurt car makers who go along with California. Maybe he'll hurt Facebook if he doesn't go along with this and act like he just doesn't understand what's going on
1: yeah well my my advice to facebook is that uh there's a marketplace that is impervious to donald trump look at nike uh but you know what jim i'll end it here i don't think uh, mark zuckerberg is going to be taking advice from me anytime soon uh on anything and uh, so, anyway, Jim Coogan, thank you so much, man. We let this one a little long, but whatever. It was a uh, great conversation. Uh, attorney Jim Coogan comes on. We talk. It's a show. How is this legal? It was a blast talking the issues with you, Jim.
0: It's my pleasure, Ben. Thank you very much.
1: Uh, that's Jim Coogan. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.